0: Well, election season is officially here and the signs of its presence are all around us. We literally see signs in people's yards advocating for promoting a particular candidate or candidates. But it's not just in people's yards. We see election season. We experience it coming in, coming in through the form of mailers or uh, text messages on our phone or commercials on our television screens, all of which uh, give a stark warning of the the downfall that will come if you support the other party. And of course, this election season, the signs on the yards, the, the commercials coming in ramps up the division that we see all around us. And so in this election season, we don't just see his presence. We often feel the divisiveness that it brings the signs and fruit of election season are all around us. We've been looking at Philippians, this book in the Bible, this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Philippi, and in it he's writing about the signs of God's presence among his people. Uh, Paul, on another occasion in Galatians, he lists the fruit of the Spirit, The fruit of the Spirit, one of the signs, the fruit, the outworking of of God's Spirit in our life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and and self-control. These are signs, evidences of God's work in our lives and in our community. And in Philippians, Paul's going to, to outline some signs of God's work, and he talks about joy, in a world of dominating sorrow and cynicism, Paul wants his, uh, uh, God's people to be marked by joy. He talks about unity. We spent a few weeks looking specifically at unity in a world of division and divisiveness and power plays. Paul's saying, no, God's people, his church, need to be marked by unity and a common love and a shared vision for, for life. And here this morning, we're going to look at one of the markers of the church. One of the signs of God's presence among His people is is peace. This genuine shalom that is anchored and rooted in God's presence. In the text that Pastor Jacob just read, he gets to the point of it here in verse 7. He's close to wrapping up this letter, and he says in verse 7, And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then in verse nine, he says, and what you have learned and received and heard and saw in me do these things and the God of peace will be with you. It's So fascinating when Paul thinks of God's peace, he says it surpasses all understanding. In other words, there is a reality to God's peace that can only be experienced when pressing into God's presence and God's truth. And so the question before us, and in a world where we are feeling the effects of the divisiveness of politics and coronavirus and the continued injustices in our world, how can we experience the genuine peace of God? How can we experience God's peace? And I want to look at three things that Paul outlines in our passage. And I want to invite you to really to hear this, to wrestle with this. How can peace not just be something you pray for? How can peace not just be a sign you might extend to others? But how can peace be something you experience personally and tangibly? How to experience God's peace. What enables it? First... Uh, What enables God's peace? It requires discerning and understanding that God's peace is not the absence of pain and struggle. That the peace of God is not merely experiencing peace in all our circumstances. That God's peace can transcend our circumstances, that we can experience this even in the midst of great pain and struggle in life. I'm reminded here that pain Is real. And pain is at the core of the human experience. Now let's look at what Paul says in verse four. Paul gets on this roll here. I I love it. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's he's repeating himself. Then he says, Let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. You see the language here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything. Paul's, he's just on a roll. But is this just like, are these just uh, platitudes? Is Paul some cheerleader on the sidelines just trying to pump up the church with this false sense of, of peace? No. No, we're reminded Paul is saying this and writing this in the midst of being imprisoned, He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, do not be anxious about anything. He's saying that in the midst of, of persecution and imprisonment. Paul is incarcerated here and, and he's, his execution is, is coming. Paul's able to encourage them to rejoice in every situation in the midst of the great pains of life. I think of in verse 7 where paul says and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus will guard i wonder if in this moment he's looking at the guards who are keeping him in prison i wonder if he's writing that and one of the reason he uses that terminology is he's thinking about and he's looking at those whose task It is to guard him from experiencing freedom. And that's what pain often feels like. Pain feels like an imprisonment. We look through the lens. We look out there at the desire for joy and unity and peace, but we feel imprisoned by the pains in our life. Do you feel? Do you feel that? Do you feel imprisoned by pain? Do you feel imprisoned by the pain of division? Do you feel imprisoned in the season by relational pain? Again, we mentioned it's political season and the effects, the fruit of political season is often animosity toward others. And we see this in, in the passage in verse 2 that we read. Paul's writing because there's division in this church and he calls out two people by name. He says, I entreat Eudea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Literally, the Greek here is to be of the same mind, to think the same. He's saying, "I entreat Eudea and Syntyche to think the same about the Lord." We talked a few weeks ago at length about unity, about what this looks like. But but we feel it. We feel this when there's division. And, and this was of such degree that Paul heard about it. Paul would have received correspondence from the church in Philippi about this division between these two women. And he's writing it in his letter addressing this division. It's, it's serious. It's not just you know, some minor issue. But when there's division, it hurts. Do You feel imprisoned by division and relational pain in your life. Paul goes on in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And why is he writing this? Why does he say rejoice? It's because they're despairing. This, This way of reading scripture, it's called mirror reading, where Paul, we're reminded he's writing a personal letter. He would have received a letter from this church and he's responding with this personal letter to them. And so we mirror read. That means we're reading in such a way, discerning from what Paul says that there was a problem, a situation one of them. The, the reason he's saying rejoice is they're, they're depressed. Do you feel imprisoned by emotional struggle and depression? He goes on and he says, let everyone see your gentleness. Again, mirror reading. reading. We see, why does he say that? Because they're prone to anger and potentially even violence. Let everyone see your gentleness. Yes. Sometimes we want to respond in anger and violence, but, but don't, don't let people see that. Don't be marked by that Be gentle. Do you ever feel imprisoned by anger? Almost this, this uncontrollable emotion and, and struggle with the way things are. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel angry? And he he goes on, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Again, mirror reading. We're seeing here that they struggle with anxiety. They feared the lack of control of the events in their life. And Paul is writing these people. He's he's saying, look, don't be be defined by depression and anger and anxiety. And the reason that Paul has to to address these things is because he's, he's writing to people. He's writing to human beings. And and every person, every human being lives in a world of pain and struggle. And you and I are no different. You and I are no different. If you can resonate with this, the the struggle of of relational pain and depression and anger and anxiety, if, if you can at all resonate with that, well, welcome to the human experience. You're, you are not alone, and and one of the, for me personally, one of the reasons that I love Scripture. One of the things that reasons that it speaks so powerfully to me in my story is because the Bible regularly, from the beginning to the end, speaks about the human struggle. It addresses pain, and it often does it in very honest language. I think of the psalms and so many psalms are psalms of lament with a poet writing and crying out to God, asking if God even hears. Can you relate? As we consider the peace of God, we're reminded that this is not peace apart from a life often marked by very real pain. But Paul is saying this. He's going to encourage them because He doesn't want them to be defined by the pain. He wants them to be defined by the truth of God and the values of God. And this is the next thing. What enables the peace of God? Aligning our mind with God's values. What enables experiencing God's peace is our thought life, that our thoughts are dominated and aligned with and integrated with God's thought life, God's values. In verse eight, Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is, if something is excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about these things. Paul's saying, if you want to have peace, you need to think. We need to think in alignment with the values and vision of God. Socrates, the great Greek philosopher, had the famous line, I'm sure you've heard it, but he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And, and he gives, and he he spoke those words. Or those words were written about him speaking on his trial when he's, he's condemning. The uh, youthful behavior of living by impulse. And Socrates says, no, we need to live an, uh, an unexamined life. It's not worth it. And Paul, he agrees. For Paul, the unexamined, the unthoughtful life is not worth living. For Jesus, the same, the whole scripture, the Bible is the story of how to live an ex- unexamined life. Paul says, if you want to experience God's peace, you need to think. And now this, this is often in contrast with the approach of peace in our day and age. Often, if you read, if you go to self-help, the self-help aisle in the Barnes and Noble bookstore or, or read these books, it, they, they, they talk about med- meditation. They talk about uh, p- experiencing this peace, but it's often emptying our mind of truth, of thought we just get rid of, we, we overthink, and if we can just get rid of that and get clarity and peace of our mind, then we'll experience peace. And, and that's a sad thing. <laughs> For Paul, in the gospel, we're not emptying our mind of truth to experience peace. We're filling our mind with the truth of God. And the reason that our culture does this, because when you take God out of the equation, you 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 need to not think in order to have peace. I think of Charles Darwin in his quote in his in his autobiography, he says this, "A person who has no assured belief in the existence of a personal God and no belief in a future existence with retribution or reward, such a person can have for his rule of life as far as I see, only to follow whatever impulses and instincts are the strongest, or whatever seems to him to be the best ones. What he's saying is without belief in the existence and how he puts it, of a personal God, and if there's no hope for future reward or or justice, that person is relegated to simply follow their impulses. You know, this means the reason In our our age of politics, there's so much appealing to fear. They're appealing to the instincts of a person who's living their life apart from God. They know that at the core of a human being is this motivational center that's dominated by fear, dominated by the impulse of self-protection, and politicians, they prey on that. And many of our lives are dominated by those impulses, those instincts. And Paul, he's going to say, no, don't let your thought life be dominated by a framework that is godless. God's peace requires thinking out God's truths and aligning our mind with them. But then I think the next challenge is, you know, there's there's many Christians in our world today that that believe in God. They claim belief in God. They, they might believe in God conceptually, but they don't think out the implications of his values in their life. They might believe in God conceptually, but they do not apply those beliefs practically, even in their thought life. And this is why Paul, he's going to get very concrete here. Paul's saying, look, you need to think. If you want to experience God's peace, this is an absence of thought, this is a thought. But it's not just a thought. It's aligning our thoughts with God's thoughts, with God's values. And so let's look. at. He, he lists these. In verse 8, says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is true. This is not just, this is, this is truth broadly. One of God's values is truth. God values truth what is true. And and as God's people, we should not dabble or perpetuate conspiracy theories. As God's people, we do not craft in our mind this, this, this fantasy world in which we live in. No, God's values truth. And as his people, we need to value truth and think about the truth. He goes on, he says, whatever is worthy of respect. And the Greek term here is is semnos and it and it's the idea of dignity of others this is how we look at people we look at them with respect and dignity and and honor and i say i think of the world in which we live in today there is so little dignity so little honor extended to people so so much little respect and unfortunately that can infiltrate our churches well churches can just treat people with a lack of honor and respect. We minimize their emotions. We minimize their opinions, cast them out. You don't agree here. You don't belong here. That's often how we lead. Paul saying, no, have your thought life be such that you look at people with respect. Also just, he says, whatever is just, you know, God's justice is at the core of who God is. God's justice is at the core of the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Paul's saying, look, we need to, if we're going to, if we want to experience peace, our thought life, our mind needs to be thinking about and shaped with and aligned with God's justice. Before we're going to be just some social justice warrior, In the mode of our political discourse today, the Bible says, be a justice thinker. It's at the core of your thought life and being. And he goes on, we don't have time to cover them all. But whatever is pure, loving, good, praiseworthy, Paul, what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, if you want to experience peace, you need to align your mind with God's values. And God values purity. God values love. God values goodness and and things that are worthy of honor and praise. And so the question before you and before me is if we want to experience peace, are we intentionally dwelling on and thinking about and aligning our mind with God's values and truth? Are we shaped by the values of God, or are we overly shaped by the division and chaos and pain of our world? This requires a a discipline of thought. This requires putting ourselves intentionally in places that will preach these truths to us. This requires experiencing God's collected body. This is one of the reasons we preach scripture at Scarlet City because we don't want you to just hear my thoughts on the issue or any human's thoughts on the issue. We go to God's Word to experience God's truth so we understand God's values and we can think about these. This is why discipleship and community is so vital in our life because Walking with God is never just this monologue of of hearing his truths but it's actually seeking to wrestle with how to apply them in our life and that that always requires relationship. This requires a personal under ownership of reading scripture and meditating on scripture and so what habits in your life are present that enable you to think on God's values? If you're minimizing those in your life then I want to challenge you to reconsider, to develop healthy patterns of scripture, meditation, healthy patterns of, of church presence and involvement, healthy patterns of, of discipleship and community where you can discuss these truths. And if, and if those aren't present in your life, you won't experience God's peace. What enables God's peace? First, it's discerning that it's not peace apart from pain. Next, it requires aligning Our mind with God's values. And lastly, it requires being a peacemaker. We experience God's peace by joining him in the work of extending peace to others. In verse 9, Paul writes, and what you learned and received and heard. I love that. (laughs) It's like what you learned, received, heard, and saw in me. Do these things and the God of peace will be with you. For Paul, God's values, it's always holistic. You you learn and you see. You know, for Paul, God's truth is never just abstract. He doesn't just study God's word. He doesn't just think about it, but the thought and the study must always be embodied. It's always concrete. He's saying you need to see these things. You need to see Peace at work in a person's life see the peace that i have and again as we look at paul we're reminded over and over he is writing from prison if there's anyone who had the ability to be salty and upset with god and lament god i'm i'm doing this work for you and here i am in prison What's the, what's the problem if there's anyone who, who could have just be, been dominated by, by depression and anger and a joylessness and anxiety, it's Paul. And I know because he's a person and a human being and and some of his other writings pull us into a little bit of his thought life. We know those were at times present. We know there was times when the pain got the best of him. We know there were times when he was anxious. But you know what? He refused to be defined by that. Paul says, look at me. Look at me. God's peace is not an abstract thing. It is a concrete thing. And ultimately, we see the beauty of the concrete peace God provides through the Prince of Peace, through Jesus Christ. Jesus who entered into the pains of this world, who entered in and experienced hunger, who experienced relational uh, distress, uh, who experienced abandonment. Jesus experienced the concrete realities of pain in a fallen world and ultimately obeyed the Father going to the cross as the ultimate expression of the concrete love of God in order to enable peace between mankind and God. Jesus is our ultimate model of peace. And through his work on the cross and resurrection, we can have peace with God. And then we are given the noble and sacred and holy task of being peacemakers in the world. You know, I'm reminded in this season, this political season, and in a few weeks we're going to start a series called The Gospel in Politics where we tackle this head on. We, we cannot avoid it, church. Church. But in this, in this season of the fruit of politics and the divide everywhere, God has entrusted us with the sacred work of showing another way. God invites us to experience his peace, a peace that's in the pain of life, a peace that's in alignment with his values and truths, but it's not just for us to experience. He is calling you and he's calling me be peacemakers in the world. Are we experiencing the peace of God? Are you experiencing the peace of God? Is there a value of God? Are there truths about, of God that, you, that you're not aligning your mind with? And are you extending that peace to others? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being a God of peace, for making peace through the work of your Son. May that gospel truth be our foundation. May that be the dominant story and model that shapes all of our life, including our emotional center. And may that truth compel us to be peacemakers in a divided world. Amen.